we find that there are people will do all that they can to make the church to become disenchanted because of some organized religion. In other words, they would look at the church as some institution that they don't want to be identified with because it's an organized religion. Others see that the hypocrisy of a few members and then they might condemn the whole group. I've had many people say, you know, I would never go to church there because there are hypocrites there. Well, I'm sad to say that they are hypocrites in every church. And uh, whether they know it or not, there's are hypocrites even where they work. How many do you know that really don't want to be there at work, but they'll come to work anyway? Well, you see, if that's what's keeping you from attending, if that's what's keeping you from making your life better, then maybe you are better off than coming here. But we know that each soul is worth more than the whole world. Matthew 16, 26. And that because of that, we don't want anyone to not be able to have that opportunity to hear the word of God, the gospel, and it being uh, proclaimed in every way so that they can have the opportunity to hear it. And then make that decision to either accept it or reject it. There are still others that think of the church as just another denomination among the many of the world. Well, I'm sad to to uh, disappoint them that the church is not a denomination. It's pre-denominational. In fact, it was before any denominations ever came into the world itself. Some hear the cry that the church can't save you. And they conclude that the church has no value whatsoever. We touched a a little bit about that this morning and the very fact that there are many that claim that the church is that which is among the trees and the flowers and the grass. And uh, that 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 is their church, that God is everywhere and they can feel God within those physical things, the creation. We're not to worship the creation. We're to worship the creator. And God is our creator, and he is what give us the ability to understand and know what we should know and to be able to worship him in spirit and in truth. But for whatever reasons, there are so many that have said these things, and it's become a very popular thing to belittle the church Altogether. But it seems to me that it's a high time that we look at the church as it is revealed in the scriptures to be able to see the real value that is there. And then to be able to understand what value do we place on the church itself. We talked a little bit about the organization of the church this morning. And next week we're going to look at some of the qualifications of an elder and to really break those down and see whether or not we have those that might be uh, eligible to be a part of that and to be able to uh, take on that responsibility and hold that office. But what do we think about the church itself? You know, the church is not the result of man's ideas or man's will. 
In fact, the Apostle Paul had rights of this preaching of God's word. He says, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church, what? The manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord, Ephesians 3, 10 and 11, which was read just a few moments ago, even by Brother John Benson. Well, you see, the same God who purposed to send his son into the world as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins had also purposed the church. Old Testament prophets wrote of that church hundreds of years before Jesus was even born in Bethlehem. We could look up Micah 5.2. We could see Isaiah 2.2-3, 2, 2 through uh, 3, Isaiah 7.14, Isaiah 9.6. Psalm 89, 3 and 4, and Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. But those Old Testament prophets knew what they were talking about because they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write those things in prophecy of the time that they would be fulfilled when Christ would come into the world. You see, God purposed the church, He planned the church. And he foretold the church. So let us look a little further into God's word and let's see some reasons why and how we should value the church because God and Jesus themselves valued the church. The builder of the church is Jesus the Christ. You know, after Peter had confessed to Jesus that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, there in Matthew 16, 16, Jesus then answered, he says, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, verse 18. You see, the design for the church did not originate in the fertile mind of some imaginative theologian, it did not originate with the apostles of the Lord, but it was Jesus the Christ who said, I will build my church. It is called the church of Christ for a reason. And it's for that reason that it is called that, because it is by his right of ownership and design. Now, as the builder of the church, Jesus planned it, and then he revealed those plans to the apostles. Now, if we believe in the Lord, if we trust him, we certainly should keep, accept his wisdom in building the church as he and the Father had wanted it. You know, prophecy has foretold so much about the house of the Lord and we can read about it in many scriptures, which is the church, right, in 1 Timothy 3.15. But that it would begin in the last days, in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, that in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up into the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. 
Jesus reinforced to the apostles that this beginning of the church, which he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, Acts 1-4. Now his promise, which is interesting, was that, that they would receive the Holy Spirit that would guide them into all what? All truth, right? Then John 14-26 and John 16-13. Now he further told them, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Luke 24, 49. Now according to his word, they waited. They waited in Jerusalem until they received the Holy Spirit baptism, Acts 2, 1 through 4, and thus were empowered by the Lord to be able to preach the gospel, Mark 9, 1 and Acts 1, 8. It was then that Peter had then revealed the last days had begun. You see, we saw the prophecy there in Isaiah 2. We could have looked to Daniel 2 as well and Joel 2. But we saw how that is now become fulfilled here in Acts chapter 2. Did you notice that? They're all the same chapter, but different books. Isaiah 2, Daniel 2, Joel 2, Acts chapter 2, the fulfillment of that prophecy. Now, Peter, that revealed those last days, has now begun. We're in the last time. We're in the last age, the Christian age. We know that there were three dispensations. There was the patriarchal. We know that there was the mosaic and there was the Christian age. There will not be another age. This is it. So we need to get it right. There will not be another chance or another opportunity as, uh, at all. And so Peter revealed that the last days had begun, Acts 2, 16 and 17, that people were then told what to do to enter the church and that the Lord added to the church daily such as were being saved, Acts 2, 47. So Jesus promised the church to build his church, and that according to the scriptures, guess what? He did it. We're a part of that as members of his body. Now, we talked a little bit about that this morning when we talked about the head of the church because, you see, an organization is often valued according to the one who heads it. Just like, for instance, a a country is judged by its prime minister or president. A a corporation is judged uh, by its president or CEO. Well, the same is true with the church, right? Who is the head of the church? Well, the apostle Paul had wrote of Jesus. He said, he is the head of the body, the church, Colossians 1.18. And so Jesus Christ as the lawgiver and the ruler of the church, Jesus is called the king of kings and the Lord of lords, 1 Timothy 6.15 and Revelation 17.14. But it was after his death on the cross and the resurrection from the tomb that he said that all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth, Matthew 28, 18. The apostle Paul had said the same when he wrote to that God had put all things under his feet, that is Jesus' feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. So Jesus is the head of the church. And Jesus Christ governs the church 
by his word. You know, as Christians, we're told, the wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is what? Able to save your soul. That's right. This word that Jesus has given us, that he governs the church with, is able to save our souls. But he says, but ye be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. James 1, 22 and 23. That written word gives us all things that pertains unto life and godliness in 2 Peter 1, 3. And so that warning is given not to go beyond the things that are written, 1 Corinthians 4, 6. So as Christ is the head of the church, he built... He built that church. He's the head of the church that he built. And no one else is authorized to make any rules for it at all. Do you see that that's the reason why that we are to follow God's word and it only? And not the creeds of men. Not these other New Testaments or other Testaments that man has written. These uh, doctrinal books that governs their body. Where the Bible is our only creed that we are to look to and to govern us. He governs us by his scriptures given to us through the inspired apostles and that revealed word cannot be changed. We go to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, where we find that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word inspiration, theonoustos, means God breathed. The breath of God, right? Theonoustos. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? So that we as the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. 2 John 9, 11 says that whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, Receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is a partaker of his evil deeds. Galatians 1, 6-9, Paul, writing to the Galatian church, said that I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there may be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But he said, but though we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel than that which we have preached unto you let him be a curse and as we said before so say I now again that if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received let him be a curse you see only Christ is the head of the church that's the way it is and that's the way it will always be what about the people of the church as well? Well, some oppose the church on the grounds that their membership is just human. I mean, they argue that the divine part is all right, but the human part seems to invalidate it somehow. But the Lord had added to the church daily such as were being saved, Acts 2.47. The people 
who are in the church are there because the Lord Jesus put them there. Did he make a mistake? Is it possible that our Lord could have made a mistake? No. You see, he knows we are humans, but he also knows his power. No one else can add people to his church. You can't join it. I can't add you to it. I can lead you to the way that you can understand that the Lord will add you to it because of your faith and obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. But what kind of people are these? Well, they're saved people, right? Paul even writes later, he says, Christ is the head of the church and he's the savior of the body. Ephesians 5.23. You see, the same Lord who saves adds those who are saved to his church. You know, Jesus had promised that he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be condemned, Mark 16, 16. Now, when people did that, which he had said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, guess what? They were added to the church, Acts 2, 47. You see, the hearers on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem on by A.D. 33. They had realized that they had crucified the Messiah, the very one that they've been looking for for, for centuries, and that they had crucified the Messiah, and then they were, they were pricked in the heart, and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? How can we rectify this very situation that we have found ourselves in? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When they received his word, Acts 2.41, they were immediately baptized. I've yet to read anywhere in the book of Acts, especially because that's the book of conversions, where anybody had been saved and then were baptized on a later date. I haven't found that. I haven't found that where anybody had said some kind of a prayer and then were baptized days after or weeks after or months after. I haven't found that. I have asked that question many times. I've asked them to show me book, chapter, and verse or where that can be found in the Bible, but they can't find it. Why? It's not there. It's not there. But we do know that those that received the word, the gospel, immediately obeyed it by being baptized based upon their faith and believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then they were added to the church as they were saved. Acts 2 47. You know the people in the church are not perfect. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry that I had to tell you that. We're not, we're not perfect. Right? We do, we do not live without sin but we have been cleansed by the very blood of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1 7. And if only we continue to walk in the light as he is in the light, we're continually cleansed. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, notice, 
cleanses us all, or cleanses us from all sin. That word cleanses us means it's a continual cleansing as long as we walk in the light. You can't get past that. You can try to explain it away, but the truth is God's word says it, and whether we believe it or not, that settles it. 1 John 1, 7. I really like a, a little sign that I've seen on several desks that says, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. Just forgiven. That aptly describes the people in the church which Jesus built. Are there hypocrites in the church? I'm sure there are. Do we have an opportunity if they keep coming, even though they're hypocrites, that they might be able to change and not be hypocrites anymore? As long as they keep attending and they might hear something from the pulpit or something said in a song that might prick their hearts and come back and be right with God once again. And then there won't be hypocrites. And then there will be the other people that will come because there's no hypocrites. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But the real difference between those in the church and those that are outside lies not in which ones, uh, in when it lies not in which ones sin, because all of us sin, Romans 3.23. But we have been forgiven, and as long as we walk in the light and continue to walk in that light, the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The difference is that those in the church are cleansed by the blood of the Savior who put them in this, into his church. Why did God purpose the church when it comes to the mission of the church? I could sum it all up in Luke 19.10 when the, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those which are lost. Right? If we follow in his steps, 1 Peter 2.21, that will be our mission also. It should be in, within our minds at our forefront of our head right there that we should always be thinking, what can I do to help encourage my neighbor, my family friend, or my family or friends of what they need to do to be saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ? What can I show them? What, what track can I find to be able to help them to, to see the error of their way? And if they're a, a, a child of God who's fallen away, what can they do to bring them back? If they're an alien sinner, one who has never obeyed the gospel, what can we do to help them to see what they need to do to obey? You see, the same mission that Jesus had to come and seek and to save those who are lost is the same mission that we should have as well if we're going to follow in his steps. And it was to this end that Jesus told the apostles to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Remember, it's through the church that God's wisdom is to be made known to mankind, Ephesians 3.10. We just read that. And it's for this reason that the church of Christ is called the pillar and the ground of the truth, isn't it? In 1 Timothy 3.15. You know, there are some today who seem to think that the church 
should get involved in all kinds of these special rights movements, you know, as members of the society, that, such causes as educating the unlearned and the righting of social wrongs and seeking dignity and opportunity for all races and many more of all of these laudable endeavors. I'm here to tell you that the church has a higher purpose than that. Did you know that all of those things would be right? Those wrongs would be righted in the very fact if only we were preaching the gospel? There wouldn't be this problem that we are seeing in our world today with so many people and so many of their ideas of what they think is happiness if we were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and showing them the way. I'm not saying that it will eradicate it as, as much as I would like to think in my naive mind that everybody would obey the gospel. I know that's not true because Matthew 7, 13 and 14 says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads unto destruction, and many there be that go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads unto life, and few there be that find it. But I would like to still think that I could be an encouragement, that I could help someone to make things right with the Lord before it's everlasting too late. Jesus asked, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Matthew 16, 26. More important than the hungry body is the starving soul. More important than knowing how to read is knowing what to read. More important than racial equality in society is being in Christ. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. For there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3, 26-28. Here's the mission of the church. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. 2 Timothy 4 2. The work of the church of our Lord is to bring the lost to Him so that they might be saved. Yeah, there are some who today would belittle the church and say it really isn't important. The church can't save you, but Christ died in order that his church might be built, that he is the head of that church and the savior of it, that the members of his church are such because he added them to his church when he saved them. And those who are thus saved must constantly strive to teach others, to help show them the way so that they would have the same opportunity that was given us. Aren't you thankful that we can be a part of that very institution that Christ died and shed his blood for? That we could have that hope of eternal life in heaven by our faith in obedience and believing that Jesus is the Christ and the repentance of our sins and the good confession that we can make 
and then putting the Lord on in baptism for the remission of our sins? Aren't you thankful that we have the blood of Jesus Christ that will continue to cleanse us even when, as a child of God, we've gone wrong? I am. And I hope that you are as well. Are you part of the saved? How do you value the church? How should it be valued? Well, we just looked at that. We should value it so highly that we will do everything possible, each and not to be redundant, every one of us should strive to make that our number one goal, to put the church above all things. And when we put the church above all things, that means we put God above all things and Jesus, his son. Can we help you tonight to become a child of God, to be restored? We hope that we can. Won't you come as together we stand and sing?